Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. Today is a special episode as it has our first guest, which we hope to make a regular occurrence. Christine joins us with some very thoughtful and curious questions. We discuss the difference between birth and conception signs and astrology, and how that relates to primary and integration Enneagram types, the emotive causes of physical disease, the crucial difference between anger and rage, what happened in 2012 at the level of the divine, and of course, much more. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome, everybody, to episode 60, believe it or not. This is 60. Oh, my God. Yeah, we've exceeded wow. my age by quite a lot now. Soon we'll be exceeding yours, Stace. And you can hear by the laughter and possibly see if you're watching us on video. We have a special guest today. And uh, Christine, do you want to say hello and say something about yourself and why you're here? You've got some questions for us. Sure. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Christine. And... Uh, Gosh, I'm here because I've been listening to um, all of the Heart of Soul episodes. Um, I've known Joseph for a while. By in order, right? You've been listening to them in order. I have been listening to them in order. <laughs> so see, <laughs> see, folks, it can be done. It can <laughs> be done. <laughs> I'm not 100% caught up. I'm not uh -huh. sure which episode I'm on, like 51 or two. Mm. Um, but I have been going in order, <laughs> which well is worth it. I think it is good to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's been helpful for sure. But, um, and I've, uh, known Joseph for a couple of years now, I think it mm -hmm. is, um, as a participant in the clear and open as a dojo member, mm -hmm. um, and I've met with Stace before. So I've been listening a lot and taking notes and have questions and things that have come up. So, um, I'm here today to, uh, ask some of those questions and, and talk some through some of the things that have been rising up for me as I've been listening to your conversations and digesting them. Cool. Okay. Wonderful. And I've seen those questions, but I've deliberately not shown them to Stace because I'm always uh, just wanting to let him be spontaneous and <laughs> not that it probably wouldn't make a much, much of a difference anyway, but, uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So anything else you, uh, you want to say Stace before we dive in? No, just uh, the just that it really you're right. Um, on the safe side, it's good so that you, I don't prepare anything, uh, but I don't anyway because the best way to um, talk for me is to unplug my mind. So that's the way it works. So mm -hmm. yeah, amen. All right, Christine, where I usually this is usually the part where I say, Stace, where should we start? But instead, I'm gonna say, Christine, <laughs> where should we start? <laughs> Oh, that was a tough one for me because I've got like sort of five categories with questions, but there's sort of two that were jumping to the top as I looked at them right before this started. So I'm going to go with that. Um, the first one's sort of on archetyping. Uh, there are, you know, many layers of different like personality traits, different archetypes and energies, things like the soul species, yin yang dynamics, Enneagram, astrology, attachment mm. styles, chakras, like there's mm. all of these different things, right? All these elements and energies and things, you know, how do they really work together? Um, how do they layer overlap or impact each other or do they, um, it just, you know, it feels like a lot to like learn and sift through and then figure out, you know, which, which are the best guides to understanding yourself and others. Mm. Great question. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so um, there's no good um, category in uh, the human mind for a, um, a holoarchy, W-H-O-L-O-G-A-G-R-A-P-H-Y, holo, well, we'll say holoarchical instead of hierarchical. Let's just yeah. do it that way. Mm -hmm. um, well, we, uh, the mind makes hierarchies which are mutually exclusive of each other, and there's almost always a power gradient. So your question implies, um, you know, which ones, where's the power gradient? And in one way, one dimension mm -hmm. I hear you asking, what's the most important? How do they go together? Um, and, and I just want to start out by saying that think of, uh, I, th I counted seven or eight uh, there when you uh, mentioned all the, uh, the uh, bandwidths. And uh, if you think of those as separate floors in the same building, it's uh, it's a little um, confusing. It won't it won't work so well. Uh, so soul consciousness or consciousness in general uh, is uh, holoarchical, not hierarchical. So there's no real way to um, assign a um, a depth or a priority or a, um, a a hierarchy to the importance, except soul species. Soul mm. species is the one thing that doesn't change no matter what happens in any incarnation. That's always, you can't change your soul species. But every lifetime, uh, all these others uh, switch and change. Different birth date, uh, different astrology, different Enneagram numbers, uh, um, different layering, different kinds of distortion lenses put in by our particular um, uh, childhood wounding and societal malconditioning. So uh, all of them apply. Um, equally accept uh, um, all these others except for soul species. The, that's the primary, and that will set the baseline for um, how you process reality. And all the different soul species have their own idiomatic and uh, characteristical uh, kinds of, um, of ways of processing reality. Uh, will first, mind first, uh, uh, more, more will for first, more mind first. Um, more love first, uh, so intuition all, first, intuition first, all mm -hmm. those. So soul species, Christine, is really uh, the, our, the the uh, the the master gear. We could say it that way. And think of think of a big um, old clock tower, a tower clower clock tower, clock tower. Clower talk. That was great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and all the gears are intertwined. That uh, there's a master gear though that drives all the secondary gears, and the soul species is the master gear. So it, all of them apply, and, and but but compared to the soul, the the soul species is the noun, and all the other all the other things you mentioned are adjectives uh, uh, or adverbs. So that's the best way I could say it. Um, you could put focus on any one of the ones that change every life. And they'll tell you a whole story. And then you go to another one, they'll tell you another whole story. And mm -hmm. if, if you do a read, I can do a read where for a particular person, um, if they want to learn how each of those adjectives really apply and intermesh with each other, we could do that as mm -hmm. a, uh, as a read, but everyone's so different. Uh, that's all I can say in a general structural thing of how this complexity unfolds. How do they, participate in the process of like healing one of the three core fears um or do they well, yeah they do well they'll change and shift uh mm -hmm. with the um 
healing one of the existential terrors, terrors of being, not, not being, and non-being. They'll mm-hmm. all flavor the process that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, as a four, uh, we would say the, 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 uh, the base uh, Enneagram number is the, uh, describes the characteristics of our wounded selves. And the heart point of a uh, an enneagram for any point is the actually describes the actual authentic emotively emotosoulful authenticity of the of the soul self. So what you'll see is as you heal in personhood, for example, in processing the terrors of being, uh, you'll you'll eventually move from a, in my case a four to a one to the heart point. And I've been tracking. It's a really good way to track track your own progress in in personhood. Uh, that doesn't changed much. The enneagram point doesn't change much in uh, um, in uh, uh, in any in the other two hoods, uh, not being and non being. Oh. It'll just it'll shift a little bit. I've never so, thought about that. Yeah, because the enneagram is by definition personal. Yes. So mm-hmm. it would only be affected by the hood of person. Right, mm. exactly. But it's a wonderful way to gauge. Uh, just like, uh, and if we switch over to quickly to an, uh, your birth date, um, your birth date is going to uh, determine a Scorpio. In my case, Scorpio four. Now there's there's a combination, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, in my case, uh, a four. Uh, I'm a Scorpio, and uh, as you heal in personhood, the the uh, the characteristics move from your birth date to your conception date. So um, as I move, uh, as I heal, I've also noticed Scorpio, my conception date for, um, is a, um, is uh, hmm. the one before Pisces. What's the, uh, I always forget. Um, oh God, Aaron, you're an idiot today. What's nine <laughs> months before October? <laughs> uh, that's uh, late January. Oh yeah. Um, what's in January? There's two. There's I thought that two, was Pisces, isn't it? Oh, there's another one. What's the other one in January? January 25th is my conception date. So Aquarius. Capricorn. Aquarius. Aquarius? Yeah. Aquarius. Yes. Aquarius. That's what my mom is. <laughs> That's how so, I know. <laughs> so, so in that sense, I can track my personal growth by moving uh, from four characteristics to one and from conception date uh, sign to, or from a birth date sign to conception sign. So moving to an Aquarius one is a very different personality construct than a Scorpio four. I hadn't thought of that, you know, and having known you since 2003, I believe, is that 20 years now? Um, yeah, I would say uh, you've definitely moved from Scorpio four qualities to Aquarius one. I can confirm yeah. that. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I've had to be for so long, Christine, uh, the only um, baseline uh, exemplar, but exemplar of these kinds of shifts and dynamics. But more and more people, as they heal in personhood, are, exhibit the same things. We see it all the time. For me, mine's also pretty radically different. That would be going from a uh, Gemini three to a Libra six. Oh my God! <laughs> wow, no wonder, Joseph. Pretty, pretty oh, different. That's so that's that's just brilliant. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Libra six. Oh, you got the right in the center of everything that way. A Libra wow. six is a very much cares about other people and their experience, and a Gemini <laughs> three really doesn't. <laughs> really doesn't. 
Well, there's your there's the impact, uh, the deepening of uh, your impact on people sense that you've been. Yeah, and that's for me. That's why working with people um, when I you know when I began twenty years ago it was very much about the Joseph show and let me show you how brilliant I am and it's gradually becoming more and more about um, gaining um, gaining a, a sense of fulfillment by serving, which I literally did not know. Like it was. If, you, if I had someone had told that to the me 20 years ago, I think people, probably people did. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? This is, this is all for showing people how great I am, you know, consciously or not. Yeah. So is that, is that helpful here, Christine, what we're, uh, we're, we're elucidating here? Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I've never thought about the conception date part. Like, and I've never really thought about that changing, thinking that you more just are those personality types or those archetypes your whole life, even if they're ones that are for your human life, right? And in, in this incar incarnation and that that can change and shift. Like I thought yeah. about, you know, relative to the Enneagram, for example, that it can become, um, it can change and shift based upon like what's going on in your life, right? Like the mm -hmm. disintermediation, intermediation, that kind of stuff, but not that it can really change to a whole different yeah. uh, personality dynamic. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Remember, all of those um, uh, 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 bandwidths of consciousness affectations were uh, created uh, not realizing that uh, we're emotive beings before we're, um, we're uh, mental beings, willful beings, and physical beings. So they're going to have aberrational, they're going to have miscues in them, they're dead zones where they can't really track uh, certain things because they're based on a, either a mind first, uh, a, a brain first, uh, will first, um, uh, or, or body first uh, uh, orientation. So everything changes uh, if if identity is is, is right that um, that we're emotional soulful beings before we're anything else and that's you can verify that after you pass this life Christine you'll see that you have a will body and a, and a mental body uh, but you'll have an etheric body uh, in between lifetimes but you you still have the correlates in the soul in the soul the soul has a mental body too. That's what happens in uh, Buddhistic enlightenment. Uh, you go tabula, tabula rasa with mm -hmm. non-dual enlightenment, and then the soul eye's mental body takes over, has much more room to move through. Uh, the Buddha would turn over his grave with that definition, of course, uh, and mm -hmm. it's okay. <laughs> I just want to insert here, because I think it bears repeating a lot, that while the um, Enneagram and, and astrology are brilliant, brilliant maps, oh yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure in the Enneagram, I'm pretty sure with the astrology, that they don't actually offer any kind of process for changing anything about the person. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, the, it's a tragic irony with the, um, with the Enneagram. It's like it maps the person, personality so brilliantly, but all you're left to chew on is like, yeah, be aware of this and see where that takes you. And people have created exercises and different sort of awareness, mind, will, energy-based, awareness-based um, sort of practices, if you will. But um, it's, it's all based on the assumption that if you just pay attention, things will change. And the good news is that's true a little bit. And the bad news is that that's true a little bit. And it tends yes. to cause people <laughs> to not get really frustrated uh, and look for yeah. a process like um, what identity has that will actually can actually has the power to change a, 
<laughs> a Gemini three into something unrecognizable into a Libra six, which is well, well on the way I'll of doing see, it. I'll see, I'll see you with Scorpio four and uh, raise, raise you on that one uh, <laughs> in terms of a, of a tough one to crack. And one mm -hmm. last point, Christine, um, on this uh, maybe uh, uh, is uh, I searched the world over for um, an astrological uh, venue that mapped the conception sign. Um, I know it's out there, uh, but it's rare to find. Um, and I've actually, uh, someone in, in uh, uh, Identity 1.0, her father was a conception astrologist, conception date astrologist, who was incredible. I had, I had no idea about conception signs. I just, it came one day, uh, and just right, right out of my own self. I, I didn't, I didn't even know conception sign, um, uh, 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 was part of astrology. It's just, what about conception sign? It came one day. And, uh, well, so I figured out my own and I, I was able to start tracking that. And that's just sort of the, the way the story goes. Is so that, is that, be is, is that because conditioning begins at conception? Absolutely. The child is already absorbing uh, uh, mm -hmm. all sorts of dimensions of, of their parents' being. Yeah. Uh, if, you're not, if a child's not wanted, especially an older soul uh, that's, that's becoming human in the womb, uh, it will absorb. Uh, if, a, if a father doesn't want a child in the womb, uh, wants the mother to get an abortion, they will go in if they, and that person is vociferous about that and over a durational uh, time uh, you will cripple that child uh, existentially because mm -hmm. that child doesn't have an eye yet but it still has a developing being and those bandwidths go right through to the child and, and becomes part of their 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 bones of their personality constructs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a being right from conception, uh, and the soul is uh, as it's as it's working with the um, the blastocyst and as it moves into um, all the stages, it is watching watching how it's going to be affected as as this process uh, uh, unfolds. So it's a it's a huge tragedy that um, birth date uh, it, it assumes that the, the the personality in a sense starts at birth. Mm -hmm. It's reasonable from a physicality point of view and, and a mental point of view, but it's just not. Here's another example where we're just colorblind and all these bandwidths when you don't see emotional soulfulness uh, as the primary aspect of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Great well, questions. so this mm -hmm. other question is kind of related to that, although it's more on like the physical side of things. Um, but one of the things that's been on my mind related to all of this is like the rise in mental and physical health issues that are going on. And we currently primarily link them to like environment, genetics, lifestyle, like what you eat and drink, stress, all of that. But people generally don't talk about like how these ailments or diseases or things that come up correspond to emotional things that are going on, emotional issues, um, mm -hmm. how that connects to different chakras or parts of our body. And mm -hmm. so I'm curious what identity's perspective is on like the emotive impact of like the messages that our body is sending to us, like how those things show up physically. Um, are there certain like physical ailments, diseases, or problems that are connected to specific parts of the body? If you're having this issue, then this part of your body is bothered or hurts or is in pain. Um, or it develops a disease or things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, it'll um, that last uh, 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 few phrases 
is so idiosyncratic, uh, you, you can't make a general thing. Uh, but let's use one example, cancer. Uh, and then we'll kind of elucidate along those lines. Um, basically, if we, if it's true that we're immortal soulful beings before we're physical beings, and even before we're mental beings, um, the mind-body connection has been revolutionizing the way you look at medical diagnosis and treatment now since the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's only halfway there because upstream of the mind is the emotive body, the emotional body, the emotive soulful being of a person. And uh, the primary uh, dynamic that creates all, all forms of dis-ease uh, from identity's point of view, just identity's uh, picture of things, is repression of emo emotional reality. Uh, we have to repress to survive childhood um, because parents uh, do not feel what we're feeling while we're feeling it and why, we f why we're feeling it, which is the only food that uh, a child needs uh, uh, to thrive. Uh, if it doesn't get that, it has, to, it has to downshift and shrink itself to match whatever personality bandwidths of, uh, in the parents uh, are in order to make the connect with them. Immediate, unless you have perfect parenting, which no one has, uh, it's not even out there what perfect parenting would look like. Um, until identity gives a definition anyway. Uh, and and uh, so your first thing that you have to do is we all contract out of our remote, soulful, authentic being into this um, emotion, emotionally damaged uh, protector being, which sort of cl closes like a, a, um, a flower in intense sunlight. Uh, well, that's a bad metaphor. It opens in sunlight. But I mean, just uh, um, where, where the flower will close to protect itself from being unable to transact emotional soulful business with parents. So the primary dynamic is we're all, we're all of us, unless we can claim perfect parenting, we're all shrunk to fit uh, our, our family, our society, our cultures, everything, everything we create out of our, uh, of, a, of the global protective self. This is the reason why the world has always been such a mess, war, full of war, a will to greed, will to power, um, uh, uh, inhumanities. So that's all because we're all operating 66 and two-thirds percent on average uh, from our emotively inauthentic self. Now, since the, the mind and the physical body are downstream of the emoto soulful contraction, you're going to be limiting prana and 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 uh, the own uh, the soulful largesse of of, um, of divine being comes through the soul and automatically the more you end soul in the three hoods uh, uh, the more the healthier you get uh, and when as that happens it'll push stuff out that has been untreated or undiagnosed before for treatment um, and so it will you'll gradually get more and more healthy. But in this case, specifically with cancer, almost always, almost always, I've never seen an exception yet, so I have to say almost always. Uh, this is my experience. Uh, um, cancer is caused of all kinds in every organ by repression of rage. Um, what happens is it has to, the, the, the emotosophal being has to repress rage or else you'll get put in a psychiatric institute or you'll be in prison. Um, so we have to learn to social, we all socialify. And uh, in that sense, oh no, rage is not a spiritual emotion. Uh, anger, rage, we can go into the definitions of those, but it's not, it's not helpful to be angry. Well, tell that to um, most of the uh, 
paradigm uh, uh, changers in our in our world when Galileo yeah. was a little bit angry at uh, at uh, how his science was uh, being uh, 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 condemned by religion. So uh, re- when you repress uh, um, rage, anger, rage, um, what happens is the body has to make up has to create more cells uh, to take up the load of the repression. In other words, anger for for identity, uh, the the honest, real anger, is definitively part of the one seven um, uh, vertical shaft of being, uh, as it intersects with the fourth chakra. So, in that sense, uh, anger is one is the most healing um, parameters of of work sanctifying anger, not rage. A big difference between anger. Well, and it's rage. also because it's the least accepted emotion. Yeah. Right. You exactly. get the most miles per gallon when you work with it. I guess. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. So, since it's such, since since it's so central to um, healthy anger, which is the way to say no, I will not and cannot go along with that malconditioning. That's the generic generic form of saying it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the body literally downstream. Uh, uh, it'll engage the protective self, and the protective self will engage the physical self, the cells, and they'll start creating more and more cells somewhere, liver, uh, blood. My father repressed his anger all his whole life because my mother shouted longer than, louder than him uh, and penalized him for ever having any anger toward her whatsoever. Well, it went so deep, that repression, he developed blood cancer, leukemia, which is the most, the deepest repressive factor. Uh, if you get, if you get, um, uh, a lot of times it'll be liver, kidney, wherever cancer shows up, skin, um, anything that is not emotosolifiable, all the way down to the physical cellular nature, is going to be not uh, not optimal, and so that non-optimality will be affected by a person's particular parental templates, the the culture uh, that you're born in, the religion you were weaned on. So in that sense, uh, in identity's picture, all dis-ease, all dis-ease, other than purely environmental. In other words, if I, if I, I could walk in, um, into uh, 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 and breathe without a mask on the edge of uh, Kilauea, for example, uh, without a mask, and I would get really sick uh, uh, breathing in, but I would get not as sick as someone who never did any work. It's on a, it's on a, a, mm-hmm. a curve, right? So I could probably last five, 10 minutes without any, uh, or 20 minutes without a lot of uh, lung damage or brain damage from what you're inhaling there. Glass, glass I heard is coming yeah. out of mm-hmm. the way now. They call it Pele's hair, but it's glass. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> so um, in that sense, um, all, all disease comes from emotosoulful uh, misauthenticity. Uh, and that's caused by parental malconditioning and societal cultural malconditioning. There's a term I've been kicking around over the last week that I want to call the law of conservation of emotion. Oh, go. In that it's, it, more. It, 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 it is repressible, but not destroyable, right? Because our, we, our, our defense systems, our protection systems would like to be able to make it go away but right. it's it can't be created or destroyed because it's an aspect of soul. 
So, um, and we haven't said that today, and I don't know if we said this in a previous podcast, but one of the things I learned from you, Stace, is that the body is the soul. Mm -hmm. That the soul is not inside the body. The (laughs) body is inside the soul, and that's where we see auras. We're actually seeing people's souls. Um, So, Or people feel it. I remember when you talked about that once, that like, Right. Uh, if you ever feel like someone's standing too close to you, or you like, you know, yeah. feel like your space is being invaded, that's because you're standing in your soul. Heart. Yeah. Uninvited. Yeah. In fact, if if you if you are closer than about um, seven or eight feet, you're already intermingling with someone else's soul field. It goes mm-hmm. out about that far. Uh, yeah. But does that change depending on? like a person's soul species or anything? No, it's all no. the same radius. <laughs> Pretty much. You'll just get different intensities of that particular architecture, mm-hmm. um, uh, but not, not the, it goes out. Each chakra is associated with a chakra body, and oh. those are segments um, that, that go out about seven to eight feet for the average person. And this is one of the reasons why being in person with people is such a different experience than Zooming, yeah. for example, because you're actually, you know, even right. if you're within seven feet, you're, your souls are connecting and talking and overlapping and dancing and whatnot. But back to the uh, the law of conservation of uh, emotion, to me, there's some connection there that the cancer, it's a way of creating, um, the emotion has to go somewhere. So yes. the body's literally like creating matter using food yes. and whatnot and yes. materials yes. to store it somewhere because it has to go somewhere. And that's an unnatural act. Um, it's, it's, so it's not a healthy mm. thing. It's... Um, it, it's it's not a good use of body resources. Uh, it's it's important to note here too, Christine, is that uh, the capacity for disease comes from emotive emotive emotosocial inauthenticity. But then there are environmental triggers. There's lifestyle choices, what we eat. Um, so to maximize uh, uh, di- uh, minimize disease. Person, you got to do personhood from the core uh, to maximize uh, the health, and then start that, from that place. The more authentic, emotively authentic you get, the more you're not drawn to heavy meats, sugars, salts. You're just not drawn yeah. uh, to that, um, and so you tend to live a healthier lifestyle. Uh, you, I wouldn't uh, live next to in Pittsburgh next to a, a coal mine, for example. Um, so uh, these, you make choices about all that. Uh, but we're all emoto soulfully um, diseased uh, unless we have perfect parenting, mm-hmm. and so in that sense, it's so idiosyncratic what'll happen. Um, you know, Louise Louise Hay has a pretty nice um, uh, uh, essay on uh, on the sources or the issues involved, like uh, cancer of the adrenals or when you have toothaches and things. So those are all those are pretty good maps. Uh, I like I like her uh, her array, but again, she she doesn't. Uh, never created those out of an immortal soulful origination. So they're all downline diagnoses and associations, which can be really right on or really way off. So mm-hmm. yeah. can you go in reverse and say, okay, let's just using the cancer example, I have this type of cancer. Mm-hmm. So that means that there's something like, can you track backwards and oh, say, yeah. I'm sure. not dealing with something specific or emotional and like trying to figure out what that is because of the fact that you've had this physical, you know, all of a sudden you're, I don't know, your arm hurts or your leg hurts or something sure. happens. <laughs> is that a sign to pay attention to and say like, where's this coming from? It's some, it's some other source. 
Absolutely. Uh, for example, um, in my experience, um, uh, uh, cancer of the, the uh, uh, kidneys are almost always uh, a repression of depression. Uh, whereas uh, cancers, uh, normal cancers, most of the time, uh, are repression of anger. So again, it depends idiosyncratically. Uh, a person might have been born with uh, dad's bad renal system, and uh, so mm -hmm. things will already go uh, get, get attracted by genetic non-optimality, non if I can make up a word. Uh, the emotional stuff will go right to what you genetically inherited. So again, it's so idiosyncratic. Uh, but, and this is the and it goes all the way to treatment too, Christine, because uh, what we'll have, what we always do with cancer patients, and every single one we've ever worked with, uh, outlived. They still died of cancer um, uh, because they didn't come early enough to get the, the full bulk of personhood to help help them earlier in their life. But they always get many more years than the medicine tells them they're going to have. And we, what we do is help them make peace with it. You, you, instead of sending white bullets to destroy the, uh, the cancer cells and I'm going to beat this cancer, you see the cancer as a cry for help. And you create a relationship with the cancer and you write to it and it writes back and you, mm -hmm. you have a facilitator help to orchestrate that beautiful thing. Whereas all we want to get, all we get in medical uh, treatment is it's bad, get rid of it. You know, and that's that's exactly what they heard, what children hear in childhood. Get rid of that feeling. I don't like you. Don't don't you be loud with me. What? Quit 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 worrying all the time. For God's sake, you're driving me crazy. Or will you stop crying, you big sissy? Uh, mm. Or get out, throw a shoe, get a teenager in bed. Get out of the get out of bed. You can't be depressed your whole life. Well, that's exactly what medicine does when it, when it says, let's kill this uh, cancer. Yeah, let's beat it. Let's beat it. All the metaphors are, are, are military. Uh, mm -hmm. And so um, <clears throat> it's a really bad state of affairs. You it brought does up, feel like there's a, go ahead. Uh, just a quick thing. Um, you brought up mm -hmm. uh, Kilauea, which stopped erupting a few days ago. And there was celebration in, in my house because we don't like volcanic smog, but uh, I want to mm -hmm. give an example of what I've been, oh, yeah. uh, how mm -hmm. we've been, my, my lady and I, how we've been working with it. And it's been helping because, first of all, we realized, I've realized a long time ago, only very porous souls are affected by volcanic smog. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I've learned this through observation. So, yes, I'm one of the lucky uh, few who it really bothers. And the the place it would bring me to symptomatically was basically basically a kind of existential depression. Um, lots of different sy symptoms, but it would bring up this kind of heaviness and it would make my head fuzzy. And I would just, if I really follow that all the way down, it would like, I don't want to be. And there's no escape from having to be here because it's in the air. But what I've been finding recently when I feel that, what I've been successfully finding underneath that is an existential anxiety about being here. And there's a lot of actual aliveness in that anxiety. And so um, the VOG, it's a little bit better today, but it was there was an eruption. And it's like, okay, let's not play victim to a volcano. How is this going to help me become stronger? I said to myself 25 times a day. And whenever I started to feel the heavy, sleepy, foggy stuff come up, I would look for the existential anxiety which was just as uncomfortable, but I could feel was better to feel. And it was quite enlivening. 
Yes. And so that's already made my resilience to VOG better. It requires a little bit of effort and sort of a presence of soul rather than yes. presence of mind. Um, right. But it's, I, I one day hope to be completely immune to the stuff by healing my reaction to it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, that, so again, um, another great question, Christine. Uh, all we can do is broad brush it because of the uh, so idiosyncratic to people's genetic influences, their lifestyle choices, um, their uh, upbringing culturally and uh, familially. So, but in general, uh, general terms, uh, any physical disease is is a messenger that the immortal soulful body is injured mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we could tell stories i'm just reminded of uh, a young man whose name i i uh, can't mention but um uh, uh yeah he was a teenager when we first knew him back in the days of oregon uh and he was highly allergic to lots of different things um yeah. lots of different fruits even some vegetables i think and in just a year or two of emotional work all of his allergies i believe except for one literally disappeared yeah that's Without right. any intention, there wasn't. No. There was no treatment for it. They just went away on their own. Yeah, we just 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 normal and oh. uh, souling, emotosoul authentication will automatically invite prana from the soul. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we say that the body, like Joseph said earlier here, the body is a precipitate inside a supersaturated solution, if you're a chemist, uh, of, uh, of soul. So anything the soul is got is, has prob is problematic will get transferred to the precipitate because it's in the solution already. It's a precipitation, uh, like, like ice precipitates uh, out of water and when it gets cold. There's a precipitation to it, similar the reasonable metaphor. So that's why uh, the body, the soul, the body is, the physical body is the soul here. Mm -hmm. And when we die um, and pass, uh, we don't need this body because it can't go to the less, um, more etheric of uh, vibrations or bandwidths of consciousness. So it gets left behind. Uh, you can actually see the soul uh, release the body uh, sometimes. Uh, uh, it goes off at a 45-degree angle, really, almost uh, exclusively. And uh, the, the soul all get, comes all, because it started here and, and, and grew out that way. So what happens, is it, it all uh, contracts here and then goes out uh, straight up 45 degrees, mostly for most From people. From fourth chakra. Fourth chakra, yeah. Mm -hmm. Every Everyone that I've had the... Uh, the uh, a really special uh, gift of, uh, of helping them pass. Everyone I've ever seen has a 45 degree angle up and out when they're, if they're prone, you know, it's just out sure. the front of the fourth, mm, out the front of the fourth. Right. Yeah. Because it's exiting. Um, it's exiting the physical. Uh, I, I, always, I used to think in my head when I had a mental body that was better, uh, more tuned to duality. Um, I thought it should suck in this way and go out. I would have imagined out the back too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that my mental body, uh, my, my conditioned, uh, dualistic mental body wanted that to be, but reality is a reality, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've so noticed. I that, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting because there's, you know, there's such a movement and focus now. It's like one of the, I don't know, boom parts of the economy is around health and wellness and all the things to like fix everything. And um, I have a lot of friends that are just like obsessed with the health and wellness stuff. And it just feels like you're just trying to search for a grasp for something 
uh, rather than really looking at like why you're trying to find some sort of like healthier way to be to live longer or fix something that feels like, you know, a deeper level of fear or something or not dealing with. So. No, it's a, and that's a really good point that has one uh, not so deep uh, rabbit hole I'd like to just go down right there. And that is mm-hmm. a healer, spiritual healers. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never met a spiritual healer um, who takes into account, now wait a minute, I've got to get some guidance. Maybe this person needs this physical problem for some emoto, soulful, incarnational reason. And if I go in there, because I, I have that skill too, um, if, if I go in there and not don't check in, I'm robbing someone of a, of a, a person who diddled with the genetic uh, uh, sequencing on the DNA uh, molecule to create Down syndrome or to create uh, cancer at 15 or whatever. Um, they, they do that for reasons uh, uh, that, that are, that are um, idiosyncratic to their incarnational imperatives. I want to be this gender with this disease. So I learned that lesson. So I never met a healer who, who checks that out first. Um, Certainly not a doctor. uh, They just go in, they'll fix it. They don't ask questions. Yeah. And that's, you know, but, but a real spiritual healer doesn't have the chops that I've ever met one or ever heard of one to do that integrity check first. Uh, so I've, I've, I've helped a lot of people with um, semi-minor to not-so-minor things in their body, but I always check and bring it right lucidly to them. Well, you know, if I do this, or even partially, how about we try to aim at 30% reduction of, of, of symptomology and cellular change, and, uh, and then they, you'll still have it, but you've got to work this issue, and I'll usually be able to see the issue that caused the disease, and, and urge them and give them some simple stuff to work with it if they can't do the whole personhood thing. So spiritual healing, um, it works. Some people are really, uh, the John of God had that, um, uh, uh, even though he's, well, he's disgraced now, but um, he had that uh, ability. Uh, lots of people went to S- South America from the West to try to get healed. And as it turns out, he was abusing young girls, um, like a lot of them do. But but he had that gift, and but he never checked. Of course, people got cured of things, and they ne- they walked they walked out of a wheelchair and never and never had to get in a wheelchair again. But at what cost? If they engineered that cerebral palsy or that polio or that um, uh, not enough nerve endings uh, below the uh, the waist, or however happens, or uh, or a car accident that severs the spine they're in a wheelchair that they may need to be in that wheelchair this whole life to maximize their incarnational imperative. Mm-hmm. So, so many different layers become up for assessment when you've got an emotive soulful source of everything. And all people do here, the best of medicine is symptom relief. It's just symptom. Yeah. Relief. It makes me think of like in the deaf community, um, I don't know if that mm-hmm. word is even still okay to say, hearing impaired community, I don't know. But um, uh, cochlear implants have come a really long way, and I know there's a lot of controversy uh, among people who are hearing impaired about like whether that's okay to do, but identity would say, well, it depends on the person and their yeah. soul incarnational imperative. For right. some people, maybe they need to have the experience of not being able to hear for 20 years and then suddenly yeah. being able to hear. <laughs> Other right. people may need to stay hearing impaired their whole life. It yeah. depends on what's going on. Exactly. 
Hmm. And that's why the transhumanism, which is where lots of where AI is just the first kind of iteration in that direction. Um, transhumanism, where we we meld uh, uh, machines uh, or, or uh, um, you know artificial things to the human consciousness, is so is the worst version of it because you, you are what you are for spiritual reasons that can be diagnosed and can be helped. You don't need to get a brain implant to be able to um, move, move a, um, a, 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 a robotic arm to turn a page for you. Uh, you don't need implants for that. Um, so by, by introducing that, that is an extreme intervention is anti-human, therefore it's anti-soul, mm-hmm. all these artificialities. Mm-hmm. So my father uh, had leukemia, lost uh, both of his legs below below his knee, Christine, and needed um, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, false legs uh, from the knees down because uh, all the circulation uh, uh, got cut off with the leukemia in the lower extremities. And so somebody asked me once, well, would would the artificial legs have been an inappropriate thing for him? And, and of course, now you're into a well. For my father, no, it was fine. He he got artificial legs because his own legs from his own childhood lost his mother at twelve on Christmas Eve. Ooh. He had he had no way to walk into the future emotionally. That little boy at twelve who lost his mama on Christmas Eve. Talk about the malconditioning of Christmas adding a whole yeah. ton. It's based on a lie, and it's in, in that put so much emotional, cultural uh, uh, importance on it. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, that was fine for him to get artificial legs. I used to rub before he passed. I would rub his knees with cream, uh, at what was left of it, you know, the, the the stumps. So, in that sense, that's uh, a great question, and you can see how many layers there are to every one of your questions that belies mm-hmm. some specificity. Mm-hmm. And actually goes to more principles level that drive things rather than the 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 the, the um, actual mechanism itself. Mm-hmm. So sorry if I'm not getting specific enough for you for you. No, that's good. Okay. I do. I, I want to double back just for a second on the anger versus rage mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. piece and like clarifying those. You know, is is rage a like downstream? you know, of anger being like repressed where then it like turns into rage, like it boils over and turns into rage because you're repressing anger for so long. Or are they two like just completely different things that show up? No, you're right. The first, uh, your first idea here, uh, it's the wound based rage is the wound based version of anger. Um, anger gets repressed because mom and daddy, this, this all happens. That's why what happens in the terrible twos, Christine, uh, the, the, the children at by two or three, they they're hurt because they can't making connection uh, here with their parents because the parents are all shut down themselves. Uh, then they get anxiety, the fear of future hurt. That's all going, um, and so uh, they're hurt. They're backed up with hurt and, and a follow up of anxiety, the fear of future hurt. The only way that they can move all that that cumulative hurt and anxiety is come out with anger. Terrible twos. Um, mm-hmm. They get ninety nine percent. Ninety percent of kids get punished in some way, even if it's just a timeout. A timeout is a punishment to a child that, that of that age. It's messages to the child, no, you can't be angry. And all they're trying to do, the terrible twos, 
is is express this cumulative hurt and anxiety. They have nothing to do. Ah, so they get angry. I've worked with th three or four uh, terrible twos over my uh, long life, and uh, it's astounding. Uh, and I brag about this all the time. Uh, I'm not above bragging, by the way. Uh, uh, is the personal, true, authentic component to bragging. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're meta to it. As long as you're meta, yeah. yeah. So the, the deal here is uh, uh, when I work with the three or four, and it's really easy. I go to the parent's house or uh, um, the, uh, wherever it is, and the child throws a tantrum because I'm a stranger, uh, or they'll, they'll be tantruming. And uh, I'll just get on the floor and absolutely mimic everything they're doing on the floor with them. I'll, I'll scream when they scream. I'll pound on the floor when they pound. When they cry, I, I, I feel them and I feel their pain and I start crying. And after five, six minutes, never longer than that, the kids get, get shocked that a grown-up is feeling what they're feeling. Yeah. I mean, I can't just act it out. I've got to actually enter the field with him and commiserate with his pain. And they immediately shut down. They, they immediately stop the tantrum and, and they get really calm. And some will just turn uh, to their mama, mama, can I go now or whatever? Uh, two out of the four that I work with just hug me like crazy uh, because an adult didn't make them bad for trying to move the anxiety and the pain that's inside them upstream of the terrible two expression. So yeah, it's, it's a, the rage is simply a compensation for not having um, the bandwidths of anger emotively verified and supported. By contrast, uh, rage is loud. It breaks things. It can, it is, it's, it's, it's uh, the cause of violence. Anger is still, and vulnerable. It's it's it's, it's gritted teeth. I am so angry right now. It doesn't go to the level of compensatory expression and break things or throw dishes or kill somebody. It's uh, there's an anger that is just like the spine of our soul. Anger really, if you translate it emotionally, is conviction. It's conviction. The soul knows what is right. And the world, basically 98 times out of 100, shows them the wrong version of whatever issue or an inappropriate version of the issue that they know should vibrate this way, but it vibrates this way instead. Mm. And so um, that's why uh, anger is so soulifying. Um, it's a... Uh, Bree, uh, uh, my wife, is uh, the one who's pioneered uh, that treatment of anger. I, I didn't. I, I, I mapped it all. But Bree has redone it from the inside out from a yin point of view and, and added different processes that I never thought of uh, to help these uh, yeah. different substances. I've been on the receiving end of that work, and Bree's very heart and soul, she uses herself like a tool to be able to sift through, like, I've written stuff or had parts write stuff and she'll sift through and help you find this part here, that's anger. This part here, that's rage. And she sort of helps you hone in and train yourself to be able to tell the difference because part because uh, anger is gold and uh, rage is green. And right. um, green is very happy with rage expression and um, wants to keep the anger, which is vulnerable, uh, hidden. So it, it takes some work to discern the difference. Yeah, and I'm still working on that as my myself. If everyone did EBE, uh, this is pejorative, of course, uh, but if everyone did EBE, violence would end tomorrow or at mm -hmm. some point in the near future, because mm -hmm. everyone would be centered enough 
to be angry and that lead, that's very vulnerable to be angry like that uh, whereas rage is completely invulnerable uh, so uh, there's uh, anger always met is meta to the expression of itself as rage and so you can find solutions when you're angry i'm so angry with you as opposed to a punching your brother for example in the yeah. face i'm so angry with you right now i don't know what to do uh, part of me wants to punch you in the face you, they, that doesn't actuate but it validates see yeah it doesn't actuate and the vulnerability of the vulnerability of anger draws people in whereas the energetic push yeah. away of rage drives people away it's a really yeah. different effect yeah. it feels like uh the rage has more fear in it like, yeah, like yeah. it's fear-based right and, and like rageful and it's like you're really afraid of something or i don't know well, you're, yeah, that's that's true, but we would qualify that just a little bit. You're right on the right track here. Um, it's afraid to be angry like it is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. it, because if they are, if we were the way anger, uh, which is in Terrible Twos for, is a good example, it's punished or it's, the messaging is negative. So it's afraid to be angry and it's lost its way. Uh, you get a trigger on the outside and uh, but a bing, you're off to the races with rage. Mm -hmm. so it's um it's the yeah. same way victimhood is afraid to be hurt yes mm -hmm. or exactly. depression is afraid to feel grief yes or yeah. guilt is afraid to feel shame there's yes. a, these are all secondary energetic expressions but with yeah. rage and anger it's a very pronounced difference for sure yeah and, and so it's so primitive it's primitive it's soul primitivity you know it's so mm -hmm. that's why it's so uh, uh, um, uh, 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 centrally healable, healable. It's so central to our um, our soulful conviction uh, mm -hmm. that we're coming with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. So mm -hmm. it, it's a it has a little bit of a segue to one of my questions, which I've had a hard time figuring out how to ask because you know talking about like family in general, you know the family cult conversation, and just talking about like you know, what you were talking about earlier with the terrible twos and, and parenting, um, you know, and child relationships and how it has been, and none of them have been perfect or, or really, uh, connected with a child in the way that they've needed. And while a lot of that makes sense, I think about like families that I've experienced and parent child relationships and they, you know, it feels chaotic to parents and it's hard to be that, you know, present all the time. They have a million things going on. And so it's like, okay, what does that look like in practicality, right? Like mm -hmm. it's so hard to be a parent or it feels like it. And a lot of parents yeah. would say that. So it's like, what does an Edenist family look like in a practical sense? You sure. know, what are those interactions or what do you do? Like, how do you sure. live as a parent differently if you're going to try and embody that more? <laughs> well, there's a question that would change the world. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll go one step meta to it to answer the question. Identity would say no one is qualified to ever be a parent until they emotively mature. Mm. If you create ensouled personhood, that qualifies you to parenting. If you don't, you're not qualified to be a parent. Okay, so what would an, an ideal identity, you know, identity family look like? They'd be, they'd have all these qualities of the soul that have been healed through 
three to five year. Um, I've never seen anyone do it in less than three to five. Some people, it takes 20 years to get through all the subpersonas and all the issues. Um, it's the same desert, uh, um, but uh, the, each person walks in a straight line or in its own version across that desert. Uh, so the answer to your question, that that's the, the silence creator. When I say that, when I'm asked questions like this, um, uh, because the first person, clever person many years ago said, well, if that was the the, the requirement, there'd be no human race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's like, a, what do you do in the meantime? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's exactly right. Um, uh, uh, to reproduce a divine being as it unfolded, started to see that uh, the soul couldn't be um, uh, 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 authenticated and verified in survival millennia. Survival sets all sorts of defenses and anticipations and plannings and strategies to survive. Uh, 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 so their uh, psychology just came out at the, uh, near the end, uh, after the Industrial Revolution, where people started to have room to, what does thrive mean instead of survive? That's when psychology was born in that, in that dimension. So we're at the really early stages of, um, of, of not knowing what good parenting is. I've never seen anyone uh, uh, no parenting uh, um, uh, uh, paradigm that 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 gets it from our point of view. So I had to make up. I had to make up my own definition. Mm. A good parent feels what a parent, what a child is feeling, while they're feeling it, and why they feel it. You don't need third eye. If this child came out of two uh, 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 two parents who'd been uh, had sold their emotional bodies, they would intuitively know. Uh, 80, at least 80%, no one gets 100% of this would, would qualify, of why the, what the child is feeling. Oh, you know, he's crying, but he's actually mad. Uh, and they would intuit that, not from here, but from here. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that changes the whole vibe. And honey, are you mad about something? Mm-hmm. Mama, Mama thinks you're mad about something, and, and you only have tears coming out. That, that would be, that. there's a moment where, the parent feels what the child's feeling while they're feeling it and why they're feeling it. That's, that's it. That's all you, know, you need. I want to insert something here. Um, the, as I've um, begun to open my heart more and more over the years, what I've found is that children are remarkably feelable yes. far more than adults. Yes. They, they can't help it. So yeah. it yeah. sounds really difficult and it did to me in the beginning too, but it's actually like, I, I mean, you, you it's not hard to feel it what a child is feeling if your heart is even minimally open it just feels like a breeze that just comes yes. and it mm-hmm. touches you whereas with adults they're generally far more confusing because what they're saying and what they're feeling on the inside usually don't match 90% yeah. of the time they yeah. focus on the content not like right. yeah. it's about the thing it's not about the thing right? right it's not about whatever they're focusing on or getting upset about it's not about that yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the answer to your question is, I have no idea, other than what I've said. What an, an, a two Edenists who did personhood work, we haven't had an example of it yet. Yeah. Identity is trying to plant the seeds for five, six generations from now, so that one day we have a a, 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 a pattern in the in the in the global collective consciousness for what parenting really 
is uh, entails and what it is that they give the child. Until then, it's a mishmash. We create a society where economics drive um, so many of the choices of our lives, and that leaves uh, children's needs far behind. I mean, every parenting is different. There are um, there are parents who are just emotively, uh, uh, especially mamas can be psych- so mother earth-like. You see them depicted in movies sometimes, uh, even with imperfections. The more heartful and emotional a, ch- a parent is, the more they will serve the child well. So uh, in this sense, I can't answer except by, again, by assumptions and projections. Uh, um, I knew that this lifetime for myself, Christine, uh, identity was was my child. I knew I, I couldn't um, have both uh, develop, raise that child. Uh, now, finally, it's it's a it's seventeen or eighteen uh, now in uh, emoto social age and uh, and it's starting to grow up and lots of people are starting to um, listen to it uh, in in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect question as all, all of your your questions are and mm-hmm. I, I don't have a definitive only a hopeful answer. Mm-hmm. There's a analog here too. I forget which podcast, but we talked about uh, uh, reframing what women want from men we reframed as what yin wants from yang and so you think about how much energy and thought and stuff resources goes into how do we give women what we want how do we give children what they need and it's like it's just the wrong question you know what, what women want from men is for the man to just feel like just feel what's going on and then and and that's what mystifies men and it has mystified me quite a lot um and continues to sometimes do because because women are more emotionally honest with that extra yin they're more childlike not childish but more childlike in that way and so they need they need the same thing it's not about what you do and if (laughs) and if you want to drive a woman crazy all you got to do as a man is say just tell me what do you want me to do i'll i'll do it and oh, that's, there's no answer to that that will never satisfy yeah. them and it's the same way i'm sure you know right now someone in the world a kid is crying and the parent just wants to know what they should do and yes. that's a question green would mm-hmm. ask and we'll never get a good answer to unfortunately yeah every parenting paradigm i know is based on behavior change your behavior the child will feel through your behaviors to what you really feel mm-hmm. uh, and this is where we say a lot of, oh, uh, if we uh, um, uh, uh, rabbit hole back qu- really quickly, mm-hmm. children will take in the unexpressed emotions of parents, mm-hmm. call that a mitgift, and that alone can drive the personality construct uh, 70, 80%. An emotive um, a gestalt that's not even theirs that they took in from the parent. So when we say emotively authentic parents, they're they're hurt when they're hurt, they show it. They're anxious when they're anxious, they show it. Like in one of the podcasts at the Cuban Missile Crisis, I, if you yeah, yeah, yeah. I mentioned, uh, we're sitting in front of the TV and um, and uh, it looks like you know a nuclear war is imminent. And we're sitting glued to the TV while they're embargoing Cuba, uh, Kennedy, uh, President Kennedy. And and I, I'm petrified. I'm 12 years old at that time, 1963. Yeah, 12 years old. Uh, and uh, the, ru- the, the fear in the room was just, you could cut a knife with it. And I blurted out, Mom, Dad, are, are you afraid? 
and the classic parenting manual thing oh son don't worry about it uh, things will work out um things will my parents bless their hearts both said we're scared shitless mm-hmm. i relaxed oh, because then i didn't have to hold my parents fear that i felt them um that changed my life that moment mm-hmm. if they that they they validated i i relaxed my my uh two brothers got worse but i relaxed and then i knew i felt like okay my read of reality is accurate there's the authentication of an emotive state that changed my life at age 12. Yeah. so it, when you when you look at it this way there's a classic example of what can be seeded early on in childhood where a, a child is carrying the unexpressed wound-based emotion depression that's never shown by a father um a, a, a rage that's never showed by a, a compliant mother with married to a freaking patriarch uh, well, let, me, let me let me insert a contrasting story when i was okay. 10 11 12 around then i remember having a lot of anxiety about whether i would need glasses or not because my father's eyesight was terrible it was 2200 and you know around that age kids are starting to get glasses and i was like oh am i going to need glasses because dad's eyesight is so bad am i going to inherit that and i remember asking probably a couple dozen times and i remember every time i asked that question something didn't feel right and i didn't get a satisfying answer and something was just weird it was like in i didn't understand what it was but i just felt bad and i wasn't satisfied with the answer i got and i eventually just stopped asking and then 40 years, 35 or 40 years later, I find out that that person was not my biological father. So every time I asked that question, what was going on in my parents was, oh shit, how do we answer this question? And in my social father, which I now know him to be, he was feeling shame that he was not able to father children. And that repression of that shame, yeah. because of the law of conservation of emotion, was getting squirted out and I was carrying that shame for him because I was a walking shame trigger for him. Yeah. Mm. And that still makes a part of me pissed off. Yeah, and that, that he was fought, that Joseph was fathered by another man's sperm. Which uh, wouldn't have been nearly as bad. Mm. Yes, right. If right. they had actually told uh, me yes. by the time I was 12, which because I felt something was off and I remember I keep getting new memories about it every once in a while being like, oh, that's what was going on in that moment. There was an energetic and emotive contextual dissonance where I could feel something was going on that was not being said. And it made some part of me crazy, as evidenced by the fact that even still today, when I can feel someone is hiding something, I sometimes get triggered because yeah. that's what I grew up in. Uh, as an yeah. alternative to what they said. And, but most yeah. parents would say, oh, go, no, we have to protect the child from the truth. Yes. Right. Because right. they think the wounding is in content and it's not, it's in context. Yeah. Interesting. But let, I just got a specific answer for your question as an example. So let's just run that out and they'll, they'll be over real quickly here. Um, let's say uh, a, a child is 10 or 11 years old and mom and daddy are having a knockdown, drag out fight. Um, Maybe a couple of cups from the kitchen uh, were thrown against a wall. Uh, and then they, they go into their brooding silence. And the little kid, go, the, the kid goes to the mother first and says, Mama, what, what, what's, why, are you and Daddy, why are you and Daddy fighting? 
and an emotively mature mother would say, oh, honey, yeah, I'm so sorry. This must be really hard for you to bear when mom and dad are having are separated and not talking like this. But mama's really angry with uh, something that uh, uh, your, your dad um, uh, has trouble with um, understanding. And sometimes I get really frustrating and I shouldn't have thrown that cup, I know. But, um, but you should also ask your papa, uh, him, mm. not just me. And the child will go, Papa, why are you mad at Mama? Oh, honey, yeah, I know. This must really bu be bugging you. Um, I'm so sorry I was so loud. Um, but, you know, when your mother and I get into it, sometimes uh, I get, I feel like I'm cornered and she's nagging and picking at me. And I, I get angry. And I don't know what to do. And so I, I yell back. And then she yells back. And then, oh, yeah, it's really hard sometimes. But we love each other, your mother and I. And we'll work this out. But we may have to take a little time. So, it's okay with you. We're going to just not talk to each other for a little bit till we settle down. But problem solved. Uh, how mm -hmm. many parents can do that in the hot moment? Mm -hmm. uh, with a society we've created, especially in the West of, uh, of, of, of max, maximal consumerism, where you have to have the economics to provide for your child, which means you have to abandon your child for eight hours a day. Uh, or a working mother, or even if you, it doesn't matter if your mother's at home and she hasn't been emotively matured, she's going to do uh, damage to the child, even being a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. So uh, the identity's picture is so radically uh, uh, displays from 99% of parenting theory out there. Uh, and it's all based on a simple premise that's so cra so crazy making, isn't it, Joseph? That's so simple. Oh yeah, I mean, it's immortal soul for first. Yeah, when I read the news or listen to podcasts about politics, and they're talking about what do we do with this, and, and it's just like, uh, yeah, if you were just like different people and more mature, you'd work it out. Sometimes I can see what the answer is, sometimes not, but there's just this sense mm -hmm. of like. You can't, you can't necessarily see what the answer is, but you yeah. can see the immaturity that's preventing them from arriving at it. Yeah. That they're asking no, the wrong questions, oh, oh. approaching it the wrong way, like, right. you know, well, have they assumptions. They don't learn when, they don't learn no. when they're a kid. Like, you, so no. you see the arguing, you see the fighting, but what you don't see is the process or experience or feel the process, and you right. don't see or feel the repair. So right. you don't learn... Like, okay, like that's going to show up or there's going to be conflict, but you don't learn like, okay, then what do you do with it? And then how do you repair that and move forward? And kids just don't learn that. Like we don't, we're not taught that. We yeah. don't experience it. And we could yeah. probably make a whole lot of money taking just that thing you just mocked yes. up off the top of your head and turning that into right. like a parenting training program yes. and giving yeah. people the words and all that, like nonviolent communication. Change behavior. Yeah. It won't matter. It won't matter. Well, it would probably be yeah. the best thing there is on the planet yeah. for parenting. Yeah, and it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be good enough. It wouldn't no. be what we're talking about. <laughs> It's so it's so crazy. For example, what you just said there, Christine, you're so right. Um, my parents would scream and fight, um, and uh, we would never know why. I was the eldest, so I sort of buffered the other three kids, and I became their sort of in local parent as uh, uh, for my parents were fighting. And the only way we knew that the fight was over is if we could hear them lovemaking. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, so weird. It, it was so confusing. 
Well, let's look at this. Look, what's the message? Sex solves everything. Everything. That, that's what. That's the message. It went. I was the oldest. That was the message. Uh, Sex uh, solves everything. Uh, you know how many years it took me to unlearn that piece of shit. Mm -hmm. uh, but but because they never presenced uh, later as I got old, older, my mother started using me as a confidant and would tell me all the shit stuff about the father. Your father's an idiot. He's a cretin. Um, you're you're more man than than my husband. I mean, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, when my parents not once ever debriefed any kind of argument they ever had, and I remember just crying in my room, blaming myself for it. And making myself wrong mm -hmm. that that's just mm -hmm. like that somehow was the only not logical explanation, but it was the only thing that I could use to make sense of it because mm -hmm. kids are going to do something to make sense of it. And if you don't give them something, um, well, they carry it. Yeah. yeah they carry it. Earlier about them feeling it. That's right. why kids who go through like their parents are going through turmoil or divorce or whatever. They think it's their fault. Right. Because they don't know that the parents are generally not honest with them about what's going on and why that's occurring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and Joseph, just to uh, <laughs> the beautiful suggestion you had about training, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I couldn't hold my lunch down and, and do that <laughs> myself. Um, but, but somebody I'm hoping in the near future mm -hmm. creates exactly that, that kind of uh, a model and, and gets it out there because it's, it's at least, healthy symptom treatment um, it will it will help kids maybe not go all the way down where maybe a, 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 a half a generation later uh, a, a, a kid thinks twice now that he's 35 years old uh, before he kills uh, somebody because there was a little bit of intervention in behavior that was tied to our model of how emotively mature people transact relationship yeah. Well, I do think that learning from other people's experiences is really helpful. So even if it's just hearing another person's story, like the couple families that you've seen that have done this process, like mm -hmm. hearing their stories and what their experience was like and mm -hmm. how it worked for them, even though it's not a roadmap, can can help. Absolutely. Um, I feel like at one point y'all had mentioned in, in one of the podcasts about like indebted circles or like community, yeah. but I think that's where yeah. like sharing communities and talking yes. about the real stories and what your experience is and how that changes you can really help people. Yes. We are, are a shared vision here, Christine, uh, that I've had my whole life. Then Brie had it independent of me when I met her. Uh, and now everyone mostly has is a, is a world center for identity where we live on the property full time and any other uh, helpers and uh, uh, facilitators would have their own homes on the property. And people would come for a week or two weeks or a month uh, from all over the world, but we would all be there. That's our picture of um, a community uh, that's uh, um, held together by common value. And that is a moto soulfulness uh, primary. And that's the deepest kind of collective there is when the, the shared values actually resonate with reality. You can have communities all over the world that have shared values. Let's drink the Kool-Aid when the master says we should drink the Kool-Aid or um, really higher minded and higher um, visioned uh, communities. But what's the reality resonation factor of their value of their resonating value system? It's not just you need resonating values to create a community don't all have to be exactly the same, but they got to be in the same ballpark for negotiability for a good community. But who, who's measuring the sobriety of the value system? 
That's what identity steps in with. It, it has a means to measure the sobriety of a value system. And that changes the game completely. So we're visionaries who are trying to get our feet muddy as much as we can in this present life. Uh, but identity is a vision uh, that we're going to slowly, one heart at a time, try to help people embody. That was a vision of mine, too, before I met you. It was I, I used to call it in my head the university of what matters. Because I was so disappointed. I was I never thought I'd actually call it that, but that was the concept because I was so disappointed by higher education that I was just like, I want to run my own university and teach things that actually matter. Yes. Mm -hmm. so. Well, no. Uh, divine being is unfolding. Maybe I'm, I'll be 72 this year. I'm, I'm, I'm programmed. I set it up to, to live till I'm 93 this lifetime. Um, uh, if I keep taking care of myself like I have, uh, so um, that's still. Uh, how many moments are there between birth and uh, let's see? That would be 21 years from now. How many moments between birth and 21? That's a freaking lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, 21 years I've got left on the planet. Oh baby, uh, to me that's a lifetime, uh, and that's why I'm I'm not I don't act or energize like a 72 year old. Um, I just uh, surely not. Mom, bring it on, you know. Mm -hmm. Bring it on. Bring it on. Mm-hmm biological age <laughs> yes well we're about 75 minutes in here um mm -hmm. maybe one more huh? one, one more, more question maybe sure okay. sure sounds good um yeah i've got a couple let's see um i think this was originally like a two-parter but you've talked a bit about the transition and kind of moving from like a yang era to a, more of a yin era in 2012 mm -hmm. um but I'm wondering if you can like expand on like exactly what happened in 2012. Like, why did it create this shift sure. um, in the yin and yang dynamics, and how is that shift like influencing our world economies, climate, politics, social, like all these different changes? And you know, why God's creating that shift? Oh, that's a great question. Pretty straightforward, easy answer. Um, uh, it involves, involves a lot. Uh, you want to uh, end today? You want to answer that, Joseph? You want me to? Oh, no, that's all yours. That's cosmic <laughs> level stuff. Okay. I need 10 minutes to put myself into some kind of trance to come up with that. Or <laughs> two minutes, anyway. All right. Okay. So um, up till 2012, uh, I have to go um, uh, uh, into divine beings' uh, zone of consciousness. Um, the yang-based aspect, the yang bandwidths of, uh, of divine being. We, we know there are yang yin bandwidths divine being because its creation all exhibit some form of yin yang uh, essence, form, and expression. So that's how we know. We, we know there's a, a and, and it's verified by my relationship with divine being too. Um, all my life until 2012, I, uh, I was born feeling uh, 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 the, the young God, the, the God that religion talks of, not, not the God that religion talks about, but this presence. Uh, and it, it was so insane, Christine, I could actually, it wasn't just I could feel everything connected by this unifying field. I used to call it the God field when I was younger. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but it was insane. I could feel God feel me. Mm -hmm. I, it was so insane close. I could feel how it how it felt toward me. It's guidance I could hear. Um, all this stuff. It's just I was born with that. I can't take credit. My soul's just got that. I was born with it. And so um, 
from uh, 1951 to, nine, to 2012, I, I knew one kind of God, uh, the young God. And as 2012 um, got close, and we we're hearing all the end of the world, apocalyptic stuff, uh, uh, closer consciousness, of course, makes everything overt. It will be the end of the world, the physical world. But it wasn't the end of the physical world. It was the end of uh, the um, the Yang-based divine uh, um, ensconced universe of this of this world. So um, that the reason the Yang-based gods steered or was the holding aegis for humanity's collective consciousness, it's survival. It had to bake us because Yang is will manifestation, planning, uh, uh, watching out for yourself, creating strategies. It had to get to a certain place, and there was just about, if I remember right, uh, I used to say I knew the world was going to change in, uh, when there was five, million, or 5 billion people on the planet. And whatever, I can't remember the number, but it turned out as of 2012, there was the, almost exactly that number as of that date of 2012, December 20, uh, 21st, 2012. Uh, it had just the, just about the same number of billions that I always had in my head, and I didn't know why. Well, at that somehow, from divine being's point of view, uh, five billion people, okay, manifestation complete, survival complete, even though a good third of humanity doesn't know we're what the next meal is coming from, and and uh, a large, uh, so much big percentage are homeless. Uh, somehow, five billion. Um, uh, that was some bell ringer. And as of that day, we didn't know at that time. We were getting sort of hints. I, I used to say, "This is not the end of the world. It's the end of something else." And uh, we started to talk a little bit about possibilities, but it wasn't until three months into the twenty thirteen. We were five that, billion before that. Were we? Was yeah. it? Well, whatever it was, whatever the number was, I, I don't remember. So okay. if you can see how many people are on the that planet. That was 7 billion, 2011, oh, okay. seven. 2012. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Good. Thank you. Um, so uh, what happened then, as of January that year, Christine, I lost God. Mm. The God that I had incubated, baked with my whole life, all of a sudden, was gone, even though I could still feel a presence. But even no even tested to see if it would go away after enlightenment, which yes, it did for I, a little while, right? Well, it did. I did. That was that's my enlightenment story. So sure. survive that, I, even. Yeah, I survived that. <laughs> but this time, God, after the enlightenment for five or six weeks, it it erased completely. I could feel God was there, but it wasn't any God that I knew. And all of a sudden, I see Bree, a sensitive woman, going, "Who?" Ooh, 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 like this all over the place in our little in our little uh, community there in Oregon. Uh, not a physical community. Our, uh, we had a little center. And she wasn't the only woman who was affected by no, it. No, no. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it became very clear that the yin side of, div of divine being took over in 2012, and that was the end of the yang world, and now the beginning of the yin world. Hmm. And what that does, yin is not about manifestation. It's not about will. Yin is about surrender. Yin is about stillness. Yin is about um, absorption rather than energy going this way. It's absorbing this way. Um, it's love expression, not yangically, but uh, by letting people in yinically, which uh, mm. um, uh, uh, identity uh, foresaw. I always define love as you do this with it. You don't do this. 
When you do this with someone and you hug them, they feel so loved by you. Whereas if you're doing this with them, pouring love at them, it's not the same bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, also uh, 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 the yang based uh, God is mind and will, uh, but uh, um, uh, the yin based is heart uh, mm-hmm. and, and surrender. So everything started uh, moving in that direction. We grokked it by June. We had it really worked out. Okay, it's the yin divine being. But it took me uh, uh, almost eight years before I actually could vibe in and shift my center of soul to the new valence of yin. And thank God it did. I I, I would have still been a Scorpio four. <laughs> so a godless so, uh, Scorpio four. Oh God, yes. Oh my God. So what happened is, and this is uh, the short answer. Um, yin, the yin tide is rising. And when it does, it pushes up all the pus that was hidden, all the patriarchal pus, all the greed-based pus, all the will-to-power-based pus, all getting pushed up like like uh, uh, it com- comes out of the skin when you do a, what's it called? It begins with a P, a poultice. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it sucks the, the, the shit out or when you put those, your feet in that. It got Donald Trump elected. It got Donald Trump elected, Exactly. <laughs> It, it, the rising tide of yin put a panic in all religionists mm-hmm. because they're they without even registering it their god was threatened um their god was threatened so you had this resurgence of um uh, after 2012 another whole level of right right wing conservative military uh, theocracy coming out into the world as the as pus that was being pushed out by the yin tri- tide rising Eventually, it starts capsizing all the patriarchal yang-based uh, boats. Um, and so you're seeing utter chaos in our institutions. You can't trust them anymore. Uh, it's not the same governmental structure and kind of people drawn to government service now. These are trailer trash consciousnesses a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, so especially in the uneducated um, right side, they're, they're more educated trash uh, uh, but they're but they're still trash trash trailer trailer trash consciousnesses and on both left and right one's a little more educated in general uh, um, uh, uh, population wise but it's a crazy world right now where you can't count on integrity anywhere mm-hmm. because the whole being the whole collective human experience is being suffused with all the gunk that was hidden before. Um, it was always going on. The greedy people have been conspiring to run the world since the fucking Crusades, for God's sake. This is nothing new. Oh, they're trying to do this and this. And all the, the power elite and the Illuminati. Oh, my God. That's always been there. I mean, I've been here more than 450 times. You, you see, there's nothing new under the sun. It just takes more technological uh, expertise in these days. So that's the result. Of, that's why people, and that's not only in, in governmental institutions and, and societies and stuff, but inside sensitive people, women especially, but unified men too. Uh, it, it, anything that's been hang, hanging over, like uh, uh, over the eve, um, you still got leaves in your gutter in your personal mm. work. Oh, baby, it's going to get flushed out. One of the things I I see a lot of is it it is causing old codependent patterns that have been, quote, working in relationships to suddenly stop working. Suddenly what was okay at one point in time, it becomes intolerable. 
And I've seen that in my own relationship where um, the more recent relationship, it's about two years old, where I see patterns that really used to, I used to get away with them in my previous relationships that suddenly it's like, I can almost hear like, why isn't this working with this woman? It used to work with other women. And it's just like, the rules have changed uh, Mm. in a way. And I want to also, I love etymology so much. And uh, the real Greek meaning of apocalypse is a revealing and yes. so the divine yin with its poultice-like drawing, it's yes. revealing all of the shit is coming out. Um, yeah. the, how deeply politicians are lying, how we can't trust media sources. Um, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all coming out and creating the chaos, not creating the chaos, revealing the chaos that was already there all along right. and forcing mm-hmm. us to deal with it. And that's what mm-hmm. the divine yin does. And it feels like we're in the middle of that. Yes, right. Oh, yeah. It's just oozing, you know, it's oozing yes. out. and. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I feel it all the time, like everywhere. But then I also am like, what do I do with this? Like, what, <laughs> you know? like, what do I do? Like, how, how do I function in this kind of world or environment? Or what am I supposed to learn from this? Like, you know, if Trump were to be president again. Like, what? like, I don't even know. It's like you would just want to go hibernate somewhere. <laughs> just he, he like, won't wake buy, me up he, when it's over. <laughs> he won't. He won't. By the way, he won't. He won't be president. You can take that to the bank, and you can confront me if I was wrong here. But um, <laughs> it's it's uh, the thing here is That's news I've heard all day. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, the the thing is here, uh, Christine is. Um, a good way to make hay while the sun shines, while this turmoil is internal and external. Track your reacts. Um, uh, if uh, it's a beautiful shorthand, uh, if your if your reacts to everything are outsized or out of reality, I want to kill myself. I can't bear this anymore. Is an extreme example. But if you're really triggered high into high states of um, ire and irksomeness and um, uh, you've got work to do um, Mm -hmm. because if you see it all as um, epistemological cleansing uh, on every level it's it's epigenic it's uh it's not um uh semantic it's uh or words or concepts it's epigenic uh epigenetic um, kinds of uprising of soulfulness so if you track your reacts, uh, or let's say a really emotionally healthy person, oh man, that's awful that uh, the mm-hmm. Republicans just did this, or the Democrats are so colorblind with their idealism, they don't see that. Um, or, you, you, or oh yeah, of course, oh, Elon Musk is uh, the Antichrist. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, Donald Trump is 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 Jesus, but Elon Musk is the Antichrist. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so, let me share what I'm doing with it. One of the things I'm noticing a lot because it's, you know, it it's to be alive during the decline of a civilization. You know, I think it's like it's Rome mm-hmm. two twenty A.D. and yeah. like that was not a fun time to be alive. And I was just thinking a couple of days ago, my birthday was June nineteenth, which has been turned into a federal holiday, and I'm feeling like part of me is like. What the hell? Like, that was my birthday. And now every year, like, it's sometimes my birthday is on Father's Day when it falls on a Sunday. But no, now it's Juneteenth. Like, we already have Martin Luther King Day. Why do we need also a second holiday? And um, at the end of the Roman Empire, they started to create more and more holidays, right? Yes, so interesting. anyway, that's an aside of an aside. But when <laughs> I notice the um, 
That's what Gemini's do. We have the sides on a side. That was an aside on a side on a side. See what I mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, stop. Um, okay. What I notice is when I start to feel uh, a rage at the world and seeing like, because the problems are becoming somehow so intractable and so overt, it's like, um, for fuck's sake, like, let me help. And I start to feel like I don't have a voice in the conversation, that identity does not have a voice in the conversation. And there's yeah. so much it could offer when I feel the angst about that i just tie that back to how i didn't have any voice as a child and how invisible i was as a child and then it brings me to the sorrow that stace was talking about which is an aspect of soul so yeah. and i assume i'll be qualified to help the world when i no longer have rage about what an idiot it's being because as long as i'm triggerable that way then i still yeah. have work to do and maybe at the bottom of that that rage underneath which is you know despair underneath which is aloneness panic underneath which is probably my own soul and then maybe then people will listen to what i have to say because i won't need them so much to hear it which is a projection for my childhood mm -hmm. oh man a oh, woman <laughs> oh, well joseph beautifully said yeah so that's that's the best we can do in our time constraint here I, i'd like to close with a couple things is that okay christine can we yeah, move absolutely. to close mm -hmm. one is joseph one out of five podcasts we should have guests ask, asking questions yeah like this. i was going to open it up this has been an experiment yeah. christine thank you for this being a pioneer oh you yeah. the questions you answered we brought so many different domains and as you notice one domain always rabbit holes to other domains and, and identity Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so thank you so, so much. So you listener, whoever's listening right now, you could be a guest yeah. on this podcast. Just email yes. me and come yes. up with questions. Yeah. One out of five. I'd like I'd like to keep doing our topics, sure. uh, but one one out of five. This is so refreshing to be able to blah 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 blah. Yeah, and the last thing I've been wanting to say, I've never said this in a podcast, Joseph, and every time, uh, half the time we and thirty times, uh, I think, oh, why didn't I say that? Uh -huh. That's a great closure. Closer. Closure. So I want to end it with this one with that because I remembered it today. One of the best questions, challenging questions I ever got in a long life of uh, different kinds of mentally um, uh, high IQ, low CQ consciousness quotient people. You can have high IQ and have very low CQ, but if you high, if you have high Often. CQ, you will have high IQ. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, um, this this brilliant person um, asked me so. I just I just did the whole thing about emotion first. Emo emotivity is our primary is the primary uh, aspect of human consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I did the whole thing. The whole, it was like a two hour lecture, and I got a question uh, uh, afterward, and it said, "So did I hear you say you're a four? And I said, "Enneagram uh, said, "Yeah, uh, four." Mm -hmm. And he said, "Well, what if your whole shtick here?" that we're, we're primarily emotive is simply an ersatz downstream product of you being twisted in the shape of a four. So you will see emotion first everywhere you look. And I was so, I love that question. You know, I didn't get deer in the headlights at all. Uh, and I said, and I told the guy, what a, that, if I were you, I would ask me that question too. And uh, I'm going to answer it. And so I did. And I said, what if? Okay, all you can do is do a what if for mentally um, ensconced people. You can only do what ifs. I can't argue <laughs> with them. Uh, so I said, what if I dialed in the four 
So I'd be super sensitive to a truth that had been unminable for human consciousness before, that it's the other way around, that I incarnated with the four proclivity so that I would see through things deeply enough to actually see the structure of human consciousness. What if that's why I'm a four? Not identity as a product of being a four, but before being a product of what identity sees. So embodying that and making the transformation to uh, a, um, an Aquarius one shows me that uh, that answer has been pretty much verified for me, that it wasn't just an ersatz product of my fourness, which was a reasonable question to ask for those who have just that scope to their consciousness. It was great, a great question. I really thank the guy. And of course, the the uh, you should have heard the snickers when he asked. You know, there was probably 50 people in the auditorium and they all went, oh, he's got him there, boy. We're gonna hear, <laughs> could hear a pin drop. Like they're expecting me to just fall. Oh my God, I, I'm, I'm fucked, you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we could do a podcast where I ask questions like that mm. for an hour and a half. I could tear identity apart and stay apart better than anyone. You could. Better than anyone. Yeah, because I know it so well. I could argue yeah. Christianity better than the best Christian and against it for it, whatever. It, it yeah. doesn't matter. In the end, it's like, it's a model. There's no absolute truth. Try yeah. the shit out and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Don't take our word for it. Yeah. Uh, that's why we don't advertise. Uh, people will find us uh, yeah. the in way. People will find us. We don't advertise. We don't put. Uh, we don't do publishing in magazines a lot. We don't. Uh, we're not out there with a big on a big internet presence. We have a new website coming up here in the next three months, uh, which will be geared up now for the the, uh, the next ten years or so. So um, yeah, I just wanted to stick that in at the end uh, mm -hmm. because, as Joseph just said, uh, it's just a model. I, I, I was trained as a scientist. Uh, everything is theory. Nothing is fact. Fact is simply a pattern emerges that isn't contradicted yet. And yeah. so that's all facts are in science. A good science always has that meta, not the junk science that's happening now. Everything is a theory. Everything is a hypothetical. There's no for sures. Oh, yeah, it's highly likely that we're in a solar system with the sun at the center. There's verifiability to that that's un undeniable. Um, but when it comes to positions and worldviews, nobody, uh, I would simply offer that identity's the best thing we've gotten so far, mm -hmm. but maybe in 50 years, someone will look at identity and go, oh, it was missing this, this, and this, and this, and, 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 and make the next better model. Yeah. Uh, so until another model comes forward, um, we're proud to be a what if based Paradigm. And there's not a month that goes by where I don't think identity is crazy. It's just um, where I'm like, man, really, am I going to do this? Am I going to really relate to this this way? Am I going to really assume that, for example, my girlfriend knows what I'm feeling better than I do anytime there's a challenge to that? But um, it, it's it, what I keep finding is it's no crazier than it's less crazy than everything else. Yeah. Yes, that's that's a great way to put it. Uh, I made I made something. I made the structure of something that's less crazy than what's out there. That's the most I can say about it. Yeah, that yeah. seems to be the case. Well, thank you, Stace. Thank you, Christine. Yeah. And thank you. Uh, 
Yeah, it's been so great to have you. And like Stace suggested, um, if we're going to do a guest every five episodes, then I'm going to need you guys to contact me because I'm sure as hell not going to advertise this because that's <laughs> too young. That's too young. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you want to be on, um, let me know. And in the meantime, thank you all so much for listening and we wish you well on your journey. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.